Lockbeat, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA and joined this week by my guy John Stargarian. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 49, headlined by Islam Mahachev and short notice. Twitter King Bobby Green coming through for the uh, culture uh, to, to take this fight on short notice. Very much looking forward to seeing how that pans out. Uh, me and John just talked a little bit about the card before hopping on here. And good God, does it seem like a bare bones card in terms of a betting aspect. But we're still going to be here to try to give you guys the best props we can. John, uh, last week, obviously, uh, short notice, bullshit that happened. It's all good. Yeah. Things happen. Life happens. Shout out to Club and Sub. Uh, uh, member uh, Danny Legs for hopping in here and, and taking your spot. But how you been, man? Well, what's been good? Yeah, yeah, I've been great. I don't even know what happened last week. My power went out 20 minutes before. Nobody else in my block lost power, just me <laughs> for about four hours. Um, so it was interesting. But other than that, you know, I, I, I've been good. You know, the last week's card wasn't the best, it wasn't the worst either. Uh, this card, I'm actually. I don't know. I'm, I love Bobby Green. He's probably he's one of my favorite fighters, so I'm pretty pumped he took the fight. I think it's an interesting fight. Um, I haven't actually placed an official bet yet on the card, so I, I, I'm still looking at some stuff. I don't love it, but, you know, there's some interesting fights, so I'll give you the best we can here. Absolutely, and that that's another aspect of this show that I actually like is we get to talk it out a little bit more rather than just me talking to my camera and just being like, I'm talking to myself, but let's, let's see what you can – potentially sway me on this week we'll see what happens but i feel like we're going to have some spots that we're actually colliding and going head to head with especially with some of the props that you sent me so very yeah. much looking forward to seeing how this goes down so let's not uh waste too much more time we did lose a fight yesterday between hannah goldie and Jinyu fry which now brings us down to an Thank 11 God. fight card so let's knock on wood make sure nobody no other ones fall off because we still want to have some money making opportunities all right uh, first fight to kick off the card, we got Victor Altamoreno going up against Carlos Hernandez. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 145 now for Hernandez and plus 125 for Victor. Uh, this has been a pretty much a pick em fight uh, until the last day or so where we really start to see action come in on Carlos Hernandez. And I, I, I hate, absolutely hate when the UFC does this, when they put two contender series guys in their debut against each other. It is just a contender series fight at that point in time put them up against one person that's already had one fight in the ufc that makes a lot more sense to me if you wanted them to fight on the contender series let them fight on the contender series fuck that shit let's get them against actual people who have stepped in the cage before because they don't it just again they're at the apex there's nothing special about it except the branding that's on the mat and on their gloves but in terms of how this fight goes down, both guys have one specific flaw in each of their games that's kind of hard to overlook. We'll start off on the Hernandez side, accepts the back foot a little bit too much, which optically speaking isn't usually the good, best for the judges. Victor Altamoreno, on the other hand, uh, takedown defense seems to need a little bit of work still, right? He more than likely always finds himself on the back. However, he does a damn good job in terms of creating scrambles, uh, trying to throw up submissions, very much staying active off of his uh, back, and then eventually finds his way back to his feet where he's really able to have success with his striking, with his Taekwondo base, I believe he has. Uh, a heavy kicking game is normally what you see from him. But what I ended up going with is 
the guy that doesn't end up on his back more often than not because I feel like that actually sways the judges a little bit more than a guy who's effectively fighting off of his back foot who in my opinion uh Carlos Hernandez has been able to do pretty well here um it seems like he pulls his opponents into him with his backwards movement and then from there he really lets his combinations go I think the kid has some potential but with that like again both these guys having some glaring flaws in their game I lean with the guy that will more than likely have a competitive striking matchup with Victor off of his back foot and then have the takedowns in his back pocket in case it feels like the round is getting too too close. Victor has kind of benefited from being the much better striker in pretty much all of his fights so that when he does get taken down, it's just a matter of time before he gets back to his feet. And then he's really able to kind of distance himself from his opponent with the striking advantage that he has there. Uh, and it almost reminds me of Adesanya to a certain extent in that Marvin Vittori fight where he kept getting taken down, but as soon as he got back to his feet, he was able to let his striking go and sway the judges back into his favor. But I don't think that the striking is going to be a huge gap here between these two guys. Uh, I think Hernandez will be able to crash the pocket, let some shots go, and again, land takedowns when he needs to. But a couple uh, props that I don't mind in this fight. Uh, the over is something that actually is singing out to me right now. It's actually up to minus 180 now, but I do remember seeing it around minus 160. Even the fight goes to decision minus 150, minus 160. I think that's a damn good spot. I'd be surprised if there's a finish on either side here. Uh, but in terms of a specific side, I'm going to lean with the Hernandez side. I'm going to go Hernandez by decision at plus 180. I feel as though you're going to have a pretty damn good rebuttal to this. So please do hit me with it. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, I agree with you. It's a bizarre fight to make. Frankly, I thought both of these guys lost their contender series fights. Um, to be honest, I, I and the Altamirano fight was arguably a robbery. And even the Hernandez fight, you know, I thought he pretty clearly lost rounds one and three to Perez as well. Um, so, yeah, it's odd they're putting them against each other. And I'm sure they're not going to cut the loser. So it's like, what are we really doing here? Like, I'd rather see them against someone who's on the low end of the division and see whether or not they can even hang at this level. In terms of the fight, um, I, I faded Altamirano a couple times regionally. But, you know, one time with Nate Smith, which was horrible, he absolutely beat yeah. Nate Smith like a drum. Um, and the other time with Lloyd McKinney, uh, because of, as you touched on, you know, Altamirano does have that tendency to play guard. And, you know, one of my biggest <clears throat> pet peeves when it comes to fighters is <clears throat> guys who will just accept losing minutes, whether that's Tyron Woodley not throwing strikes against the cage or someone who gets taken down and doesn't try to wake up, uh, work up. And, you know, against someone like Lloyd McKinney, who's a pretty serious wrestler, you know, I knew, I felt pretty good that he was going to keep a lot of top pressure on him. Obviously, he ended up getting subbed there. And looking at this fight, Alvarez may attempt takedowns, but there's a couple things. Like, I don't think he's a great wrestler, number one. Uh, number two, I don't even think Altamirano's takedown D is that bad. If you go and watch this fight with Candelario, I actually would rate Candelario's wrestling a bit higher than Altamirano's. And when he was, you know, once Altamirano decided, okay, I need to stop takedowns, he actually started having some good success doing it. Uh, and beyond that, look, it bothers me quite a bit that Altamirano plays off his back and looks for submissions. But when he actually decides to get up, he actually does a really good job working up. You know, his get-ups are really, really technical. He just very, very rarely tries to get off his back. Um, and that may be the case here, too. You know, maybe I'll, maybe uh, Hernandez, I don't know why I can keep calling him Alvarez. Maybe Hernandez can get takedowns <laughs> here uh, and and hold him there. But I don't know. I, I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked for him to get a couple takedowns. But I do think if uh, Altamirano wants to get up, he's going to be able to. On top of which, I saw Hernandez make a couple positional mistakes in top position. Um, 
especially early in his fight with Perez, where he almost got himself put in a reverse on a triangle. Yeah. And that's kind of like a dangerous thing, you know, to be operating with here if he's not confident in his jiu-jitsu against Altamirano's guard. Like, Altamirano's guard, I think, against serious high-level grapplers isn't going to pose much of a threat. But against guys who are maybe not that high-level, I think it could. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the interesting dynamic, and that's the one thing in this fight that's giving me pause. Because if you look at the stand-up, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you that the striking's competitive. Uh, and if anything, I might even say that um, Hernandez is a more technical striker than Altamirano is. But I do think Altamirano is the far more reliable volume striker here than Hernandez is. You know, the guy pumps a ton of volume out. And we're talking about a fight at men's flyweight, which I think is important. Neither of these guys have a standing KO in their career regionally. Usually not getting regional KOs is a pretty strong predictor of whether or not power is going to carry over to the UFC. And so if I can rely on Hernandez to not knock Altamirano out and not really wobble him bad, I have to favor Altamirano on the feet just because I think the volume and the pace he's going to bring is just enough that he's going to probably win minutes there. So, like, I get the angle on Hernandez possibly holding him down. I do agree he's more technical. But honestly, I think there's a bit of value on Altamirano. Uh, in terms of props, I agree with you. I like the over. Uh, goes the distance. I'm seeing, you know, DraftKings has minus 150. So does FanDuel at the moment. I think that's actually pretty nice on the goes the distance. Uh, the only real way I could see this ending is Altamirano's submission. Uh, but I, I think if I was going to play a prop on a fighter here, I'd probably play Altamirano by decision. It's plus 250, and I think that's probably the most likely way he wins this fight. Um, and I favor him outright. So, yeah, give me Altamirano. Give me Altamirano decision. I like it. I like it. You make a fair case for the Altamirano side. We'll see who ends up coming up with the hand or with their hand raised this weekend. All right, let's move on to a short notice spot here for Ramiz Brahimai, uh, stepping in to fight Michael Gilmore. Uh, and, and usually, you know, giant red flags whenever you see Ramiz Brahimai in that minus 400 range, which he's currently at here. And then obviously the return on uh, Gilmore around plus 300, depending on where you're looking at. But it, it feels like one of those spots that he should be able to go out there and do what Ramiz does, right? I know a lot of people might be taking some something from the Petrosky fight, thinking that, oh, Gilmore survived early. You know, if he can survive Ramiz early here, more than likely he should go on to win rounds two and three. But that's what we thought against Petrosky too, right? And then Petrosky goes out there and does the unthinkable, winning via submission in round, th or not even submission, via KO in round three, which I'm sure a lot of people were upset about holding a Petrosky sub prop. Um, but yeah, this is one of those spots where I feel like Ramiz is worth that minus 500 or minus 400, uh, but taking the inside of the distance is more than likely the best spot to go. Uh, I think it's currently hanging around minus 125 for Brahimai to win inside the distance. I think that's a damn good spot. Um, he seemed very much beat up, obviously losing that last fight to Court McGee last month, but I, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Bilal Muhammad who was on uh, Dan Levy's show, shout out to Half the Battle. Uh, but he was on his show and he was talking about how, you know, he really wanted to like console Ramiz, who seemed to be pretty broken up about taking that loss that night. And you got to believe he's taking that kind of into his training camp here, taking this fight into short notice and be like, okay, I got to go back and, and fix the wrong, which was the, the loss in my last fight. Uh, I, I do think... He's a little bit more of a finesse type jujitsu player compared to where Petrovsky is a little bit more strength based, right? He kind of wants to yeah. uh, muscle his way into these positions. And although it like sometimes it works out for him, you see in that first round, he's kind of struggling to really assert position and trying to assert his submissions. Uh, whereas Brahima, I think he just flows a little bit better and those submissions will open up a little bit easier, right? It's a huge red flag on the Gilmore side to have a submission loss to a guy like Gilbert Urbina. And I feel like Ramiz Brahima's uh, jiu-jitsu game is far more 
uh, far better than what uh, Urbino was bringing to the table that night. I, I do like Ramiz. I like Ramiz inside the distance here. Um, even the 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 fight doesn't go to decision as a whole. Uh, that's currently sitting at minus 225. So a little bit chalky there. Uh, I'd be surprised if Gilmore is the one that comes out on the winning end in this spot. Uh, I know he's going down to 170 pounds for this fight as well. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on, maybe for the weigh-ins tomorrow as well for Gilmore. But I do think that we see uh, Ramiz still get his hand raised. He'll get the takedown when he needs to. And then from there, I think he should flow to a certain point to be able to get that dominant position to either get that ground and pound or that submission. But rather than get greedy, let's just take that Ramiz uh, inside the distance at uh, right now. Oh, it's up to minus 150 now. So it looks like a heavy steam coming in. Minus 125 was a couple of days ago. Now it's up to minus 150, minus 170 at certain spots as well. But I think if you're playing Ramiz, that's probably the way to go. How do you see this one going down? Am I am I jacking off Ramiz a little bit too much here, or uh, do you see something different? I mean, no, but I, it's so weird because my opinion of Ramiz is like so low compared to like UFC other like UFC caliber fighters, right? I mean, I faded in with McGee fairly big, um, but that was pretty easy work for Court. Michael Gilmore is not Court McGee, yeah. but you know, it's still just like so weird to me because it's like. For Ramiz to cover any of these lines, he's probably got to get him out of there early. Like, we're just because Ramiz's pace is such that it lends himself to gassing out and he doesn't have great cardio to begin with. Um, we did see Gilmore survive against Petrovsky, though. Again, I don't really think Petrovsky is quite as dangerous early in the fight as Ramiz is. But Gilmore coming down from 185 to 170 is interesting. It might be tough for Ramiz to get takedowns there. I don't really think Ramiz is the best wrestler ever. Um, but with that said, look, the bottom line is the UFC brought in Ramiz here for Gilmore for a reason. I, they, I don't think they want to cut him. They're giving him pretty much an optimal opponent for him to get him out of there with a the submission. Uh, and so with that being the dynamic, it, it's like – I have to favor Ramiz pretty heavily. I do think his money lines may be a little wide because it's like if he goes all out in round one and he doesn't get it, well, now all of a sudden your ticket might just be completely fucked on everything when it comes to him. So it's like how can somebody with that kind of a cardio dynamic be minus 400? I don't know. But Gilmore is not a UFC caliber fighter either. The guy is not a good grappler. Um, I guess if you're looking to play a side, I'm with you on the ITD because I'm seeing Ramiz sub at minus 125 and ITD minus 150. Like, I'd much, much, much rather have, you know, Ramiz ITD with the price being that close than, you know, going all in on the sub for 25 cents. Um, but I think the way I'd play it, I might get aggressive with it if I wanted to get on Ramiz here. Round one's plus 185. I think I'd rather have that than the ITD for the fight, to be honest, just because I, I just don't – I've seen too many times him gassing out bad after he's gone after it hard and around. Um if, to be honest, I think the optimal way Ramiz should just fight here is take him down and consolidate half guard and float on top and not gas himself out. I don't expect him to do that, but I think if he was smart, that would be the best way because I think it's a pretty easy 30-27 if he did that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Ramiz ITD, I think is the best play. Maybe Ramiz round one. Um, but also, honestly, like if someone told me they were taking a shot at Michael Gilmore here at plus 300, I couldn't really blame them. Like I, I just don't really rate Ramiz that much. 
Yeah, it, it's tough to to convince me to put any money on a guy like Gilmore, who again <laughs> goes out there and gets finished by Petrosky, who has horrid gas tank issues himself. But I think that Petrosky showed some decent things in that fight, specifically in that second round where he didn't look to grapple at all. It just seemed like he was just trying to catch his breath, and he just went out there and struck with him for five minutes. And Gilmore still didn't have enough success to actually get a win in that fight. Uh, and then obviously Petrosky goes for a takedown immediately in that third round, and then eventually finds that finish later on. So we'll see if Ramiz, if he's not able to get him out of there in the first round if he tries to take a similar approach tries to conserve the gas tank and then go balls to the wall once again around three but hopefully this fight doesn't see that third round because i want to see the shit get finished asap so we can move on to the next fight which is exactly what we're going to be doing right now we got alejandro perez going up against jonathan martinez uh initially of uh bantamweight fight now it's actually up at 145 pounds it was announced two days ago that uh, both fighters have agreed to go up to 145 gotta believe it was the martinez side asking for that considering martinez you know has had troubles with the weight uh in the past uh just go up to 145 already dog you're, you're you know you have a lanky frame already just fill yourself up there and i think you could find some solid success but in terms of odds, uh, we are currently looking at minus 250 for Jonathan Martinez, plus 200 the return on Alejandro Perez. I, I like me some Martinez, I, I, and it's weird for me because the concern that I have is his durability, but he hasn't been finished that often, yeah. right? It was just that Davy Grant fight, really, uh, as of late. Um, obviously, uh, he was having a field day with Davy Grant that night, and then Grant obviously finishes him in, I believe, the second round uh, that night. But Martinez, very strict, slight, uh, strict, sli strict. Can I can I get that word out? Strict, <laughs> slick striker. God damn, wake up, man, pre. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Martinez is a very slick striker, uh, as we obviously saw, especially in his last performance against Zviad Lazis. Really, shout out to you as well, who was on uh, Jonathan Martinez that night as a fucking underdog. The disrespect. Oh my god, Jesus. Oh my god, the guy's Georgian. Oh my god, the guy's eight and oh. <laughs> Max bet. Let's fucking get go go to the well with this shit. But nah, man. You know, once you guys watch that tape on Zviad, especially his regional tape, and you understand the level of competition he was going up against there, then you start to understand why Jonathan Martinez was the pick that night. And I'm glad that we we're both able to cash in on that here. Um, now here, obviously, sizable favorite against Alejandro Perez. Uh, he's obviously going to have the striking advantage. Um, but Perez is just one of those weird dogs that could just find success at certain points in fights, right? He's durable, right? The only guy to ever send him to the shadow realm was uh, Song Yudong, but Song, obviously, very, very heavy hitter. Um, but he's a decent all-around fighter, right? Like, the guy's been around the game for so long, and I, I I tweeted out earlier in the week or last week saying, I can't believe he's only, like, 32 or 33 years old because it feels like this guy should be 37, 38. 40? Yeah, maybe even 40. <laughs> long we've we've seen this guy compete uh but luckily for him he came off an extended layoff last time around against johnny eduardo uh started off slow and then eventually started to pick it up later and, and then finished johnny eduardo with a beautiful i believe it was a, a crucifix armbar type of thing that he pulled off there a beautiful win for him there which just goes to show his level of expertise right the guy the guy's good in certain spots but I feel like his only shot to win this fight is to find that chin of uh, Jonathan Martinez because otherwise he's going to get out-volumed. He's going to get outworked. Martinez has shown solid takedown defense in the past. I'd be surprised if Perez is able to dominate him on the mat at all. I like Martinez here. Uh, I, I do. Uh, Martinez by decision as well, considering that Perez is quite durable. Uh, Martinez decision plus 130, plus 120, depending on your bookie. But I feel like that's the spot for this fight. Uh, give me some Martinez and Martinez by decision. How about yourself? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting fight. Like, I, 
I have such a weird opinion of Jonathan Martinez because I, I like all the skills, to be honest. You know, he's a decent grappler. He's a very, very good striker. You know, he hits hard. He has really nice low kicks. There's just something off about him. I can't really put my finger on it. It's not even like I'm with you on the durability. I kind of think the durability issues are a bit overrated for him. Uh, look, like he traded shots with Almeida and it's been no problem. Grant, it's pretty hard. I, You know, I can forgive that. He just... Like, you know, you watch the Andre Ewell fight, and Andre Ewell almost winning round three with one hand. It's like, how, how you know, I get it. He probably should have won that fight. But how in the world are you having a close round three with a guy who's got a broken hand yeah. and literally fighting one-handed on the feet? You know, it, it's just, it seems like he almost gets, at times, like lackadaisical and, like, lazy in there. Um, but with that said, I think he's got a massive skill edge on Alex uh, Alejandro Perez, not Alex Perez. Um, Alejandro Perez, look, he's another weird one because he's a guy that I think when you look at his career, it's like, how has he had the success that he's had? Because I don't think he has a ton of like plus skills. He has a bunch of average skills. He's not a very good wrestler. Uh, his striking is extremely low volume. It's like, how has this guy, he just manages to weasel out wins. And, you know, looking at this, look, he came back off a two-year layoff and fought 42-year-old Johnny Eduardo in his last fight. And before he finished him, he did not look very good in that fight, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, and, you know, I look at this fight, and I, I honestly, the number's getting away from me now, but I, like, consider laying the juice here just because I am not a big fan of laying juice in striking fights. But as long as Martinez stays focused, he really shouldn't have many issues here. Um, in terms, like, he's the much better boxer. He has the low kick factor, which, you know, is just a huge difference maker. I don't really think Perez is a threat to wrestle him. I don't think Perez is much of a threat to knock him out, to be honest. Um, in terms of a prop, I'm with you on the decision. Look, you know, Martinez is dangerous, but the guys he's finishing aren't really that high level. It's like Frankie signs. And like to your point, you know, Perez getting finished by Song Yedong. Song Yedong is a top 15, 35 or who can fucking crack, man. Like that guy can hit. And I, I can't really put, especially because Martinez isn't a guy who's going to engage in a pocket brawl much, you know, he's not going to go and do what song does and be nearly as aggressive. Um, I like the, uh, I like the decision line on Martinez. I think the plus plus one twenty five is nice. Honestly, I'm still considering it though. The line's getting away from me. I think there's value on the money line though. Yeah. Ma Martinez uh, throughout the week has slowly started to creep up on me as, as one of the spots that I want to tackle, but rather than take the money line, I might actually take that decision prop, yeah. uh, especially around plus 120, plus 130. Seems like a damn good spot, especially on a, a card where I feel not the greatest a lot of, uh, about yeah. a lot of the spots, right? Uh, I said earlier on my podcast this week that I wanted to kind of stay away from totals and and uh, fight doesn't go to decision type of props just because they've really been stinging me over the last couple of fight, uh, events. But then there's a couple of spots on this card where I'm like, ooh, the, the fight doesn't go to decision seems, seems pretty nice. And uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the Jonathan Martinez uh, money line, again, it's getting away from us, but there aren't any other money lines that are really speaking out to me this week. So I might have to take some shots on some uh, props as well. But uh, the, the Martinez by decision, I think that's definitely one that I'm going to be looking to, to take advantage of. Uh, especially considering it's still around plus money and shout out to the chat as well uh everybody's saying it was actually Perez that asked for it to be moved up i'm actually trying to look to verify that source uh obviously i, I trust the people in the in the chat as well 
but like historically speaking, you feel as though it would be a guy in Jonathan Martinez who struggled with his weight in the past. You know, it's kind of funny because I actually was worried until they moved it up that it might get canceled just because Jonathan Martinez yeah. can never make weight. Um, yeah. There's another fight we'll get to where I have that same concern, but yeah, you know, we'll see. <clears throat> yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, uh, Martinez, Martinez by decision seems to be the favorite play for both of us here. Uh, yeah, I like it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Terrence McKinney going up against Ferris Ziem. In terms of odds, we currently have uh, Ziem around minus 120, plus 100, the return on Terrence McKinney. Now, this is one of those fight doesn't go to decision spots that I was kind of looking at. Uh, I I don't recall if I actually bet it the last time they were scheduled to fight. I believe that was back in November, uh, but I'm still considering it here. Uh, and that's currently sitting around minus 200, minus 195. Under two and a half is around minus 155, minus 150. I just don't know if I'll ever bet under two and a halfs again and rather just take the fight doesn't go to the decision, especially what happened in that Chad and Heliger and Jesse Strader fight. It happened to me before Bro. with Lydia Skolyarenko and Julia Avila as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, fight doesn't go to the decision is probably the spot. Uh, obviously, McKenney, uh, a ton of first-round finishes. That's pretty much what he's been doing on the regional scene. Even when he gets finished, it's usually within the first two rounds. Uh, has a solid wrestling base, but doesn't seem to have the cardio to really push it right like it doesn't seem to have the cardio yeah. to to sustain uh, a wrestle heavy approach in all of his fights uh his striking game is pretty much like a cross down the middle and a sneaky head kick outside of that seems like he still has a little bit of work to do there but the guy can generate tremendous amount of power and that's where a lot of opponents have to look out for something that matt favola just did not even bother thinking about uh before getting clipped and put away within what uh, that was quick i think it was like seven or 13 seconds yeah. or something like that very quick seven. knockout for mckinney yeah, in his UFC debut, albeit, right? So um, even even from the top, you, this is a guy you see getting finishes from full guard with his ground and pound just because of his lanky frame and some of the power that he's able to generate from those spots. On the flip side, you got a completely different fighter in Ferrisium. Likes to strike, solid kickboxer, good volume. Uh, there are times where if you try to pressure him, he will kind of start to fade or start to falter. We saw Luigi Vendramini have some success in terms of doing that. Ultimately, didn't end up getting the win that night, but shows that you can definitely um, scare uh, ZM a little bit. And I think that's what McKinney could look to do in this situation as well. Uh, I, like I said, fight doesn't go to decision is kind of where I'm leaning on, whether it's McKinney early or Ferris eventually finding an opening later on in this fight. But I do like uh, McKinney, uh, his side to actually be the one to get this done whether it's with the takedown and heavy ground and pound from on top or even just finding a a big shot of his own uh in the striking range uh mckinney by ko plus 225 mckinney inside the distance plus 175 mckinney in round one plus 350 which i think is a damn good spot uh those are pretty much my favorite uh props for this obviously zm round three plus 1000 everybody everybody and their mother knows that's always in play here against a guy like terrence mckinney but uh, I'll lean more so on the McKinney side. McKinney round one plus 350. Fight doesn't go to decision minus 200-ish. That's where I'm liking the most here. How about yourself? Yeah, I don't really feel great about props on this fight, to be honest. It, it's like, so I bet um, ZM plus 120 or plus 115, I think, first time it was booked. I'm not going to turn around and bet him at minus 120 here the next yeah. time it's booked. So I have no bet on the fight. It, the thing with me is it's like Terrence McKinney is such an enormous question mark in terms of like what his what, – what he even is you know yeah. you look at his career i mean his last three fights before the ufc all ended in under a minute and a half um you know the only extended data we really have on him is the sean woodson fight where he dominated on the mat for a round and then looked like he was starting to slow and ate a flying knee 
But even that fight, it's like, yeah, I think he was starting to slow, but like the way it ended, it's like it's so hard to say, make any definitive comments. Um, the one thing I look, obviously, the guy hits very hard for the division. No question about that. We know that. We also know he's a pretty good wrestler. I actually like his wrestling quite a bit. And so that's really all I know about McKinney. You know, he's got a lot of round one finishes. He's dynamic. He's a dynamic finisher and he can wrestle. Um, I think he has poor cardio probably, but again, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, in terms of Zeom, I think Zeom is a good boxer, but he's low volume. Uh, he doesn't have much pop. In terms of his grappling, he's okay. I don't think he's the best. I don't think he's the worst. Uh, I was willing to take a bet on him the first time as a dog just because I kind of felt like if Zeon could get through the first round, he might he had a reasonable chance to take over the fight. And I was happy to bet a guy with three UFC fights against an unknown like McKinney. Uh, but looking at this fight, I don't really know what to make of it. I kind of think it's McKinney early or, like, honestly, I'm not sure Zeon can finish it, to be honest. And I'll, I'll tell you why. The thing is, it's like, Ziam is not the kind of guy who's going to suddenly up his pace, you know, if you're tired in front of him. He's the kind of guy who will be happy to play the rangy jab game. And it's and unless McKinney just totally death gasses, it's very hard to get finishes like that. Uh, so I don't have a great deal for props. I guess if I were to take sides here, I'd probably play the McKinney round one. And then I kind of like Ziam by decision plus 300. I, I do think his win equity is tied up, not all in a decision, but a good portion of it in a decision. That's mainly the reason I haven't played the fight as a good yeah. decision yet, is because I could see that ZM uh, uh, decision as well. It all depends on what McKenney shows up in terms of right. his cardio. Like you said, if he death gasses, sure, the finish could possibly be there. But in terms of, uh, you know, putting a lock that I label on it, I don't feel confident. Also, I have a sneeze coming right now, and I'm going <laughs> to mute my mic real quick because I'm trying to fend. Well, the other question is, too, you know, when you think about it, it's like, we saw McKinney slow down against Woodson, but we don't know definitively that's what his cardio is like. Like, what if he just comes out here and wrestle fucks McKinney for three rounds? Would that yeah. be that crazy an outcome? <laughs> you like, I, you know, like, I, I, seriously, though, you know, I, I, I'm a hundred percent positive he can get him down. Whether he can hold him down, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue to go back and forth about it. Uh, but it, th there's a lot of question marks, especially with that minus two hundred price tag as well. Uh, and yeah, Jared Curry. We do know that he died, but did you know that he died twice? That's the question. <laughs> All right. Will he die a third time on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got Josian Nunez taking on short notice Ramona Pasquale. Uh, in terms of odds, we currently have uh, minus 210 on Nunez, plus 175 the return on Ramona Pasquale. Now, I believe I took, no, I did not bet. Uh, uh, Bea Maleki, but I did predict her to win that fight against Nunez in her debut. Good God, can she not uh, control that range? Like she was just allowing herself to get backed up to the cage and just get absolutely unloaded on by Nunez. And it was just a matter of time before Nunez was able to find uh, that knockout blow. I, I didn't mind some of the work from Bea, right? Like there were times where she actually stood yeah. her ground from distance and then threw some combinations to keep Nunez on the end of them, but she just could not keep that up. She could not withstand that type of game, and Nunez eventually was uh, able to crack her. And that's pretty much the the whole gist of Nunez's game, right? She just waits and waits and waits and eventually finds that knockout, no matter what's going on. There's one fight where she's being held up against the cage for a round and a half, and then eventually finds her space and lets those hammers go, and she gets her opponent out of there. There's another fight where she gets taken down relatively easy, I must say, 
just waits for opportunities, eventually finds a reversal, eventually gets back to the feet, and then it looks like her opponent is just absolutely out of gas, and she's able to put step on the gas herself and eventually find the knockout of her own. Ramona Pasquale, on the other hand, uh, originally based out of Hong Kong, uh, she's trained with Syndicate for the last couple, uh, uh, I want to say year, year and a half at this point. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the first time I actually came across her was uh, on uh, Nico Montano's IG page. When uh, Nico Montano was scheduled to fight, I think it was Wanan Yu or Yu, whatever her name is, Wu Yunan. Um, and uh, she missed weight for that fight. And, and that was the last one. And then the UFC released her. But like the night before, I see uh, Nico kind of tag her in her Instagram thing. And then I start to follow Ramona. And then one of Ramona's things, right before the weight cut or, or, or the, the weigh-in time started, you see Ramona just post a video of her walking out of the sauna, kind of like a dejected look. And just like, th that's all I saw. And then I messaged her. I'm like, you know, did, did the weight cut go okay? You know what I mean? You, you seem kind of dejected what happened. And then after the weigh-in happened, she messaged, she goes, yeah, it's like we knew at that moment that she was not going to make the weight. Uh, and then obviously we know Nico Mantegna is long gone now. But uh, um, uh, Pasquale, training there day in and day out at Syndicate MMA, she was able to get that victory in Invicta back in January. Uh, from my understanding and watching some of her Instagram stories, she only took about a couple of days off uh, for a vacation and then got right back into the gym and started working, knowing there was eventually going to be an opportunity for her to get the shortener's call to the UFC. The, the question mark, though, is the level of competition she's been going up against is very, very low, right? I believe she has a combined opponent record of 10 and 9 or something like that. It does not look good at all. But the things that we do see in some of those fights give you hope that she could potentially be she could have some success in this fight, right? The main thing being takedowns. This fight is also being contested at 145 pounds, which would obviously favor uh, uh, Pasquale here in terms of being able to use that weight and try to hold down Nunes. Can she do that effectively, though? And can she do it for 15 minutes? That's the question mark. So the the couple of, couple of spots that I don't mind here, the over one and a half at minus 140 now, or even minus 135, I think that could be live because I do think that we'll see grappling early in this fight. I do think that we'll see it extended, but then it depends on can she keep it up for 15 minutes and will Nunes eventually find that bomb? She could find that bomb, but... I still do lean on the Pasquale side, man. I am not impressed with Nunez's uh, ground game at all. And it's just going to take uh, a matter of time before she fights that fighter that will be able to lay her out for 15 minutes on the ground, grind her out. Will Pasquale be that one? Not 100% sure. Like I said, level of competition is a big red flag here. But working day in and day out with guys like John Wood, Joanne Calderwood, I think they bring in Jenna Fabian as well a couple of times. Got to believe that she's getting better. So, uh, like I said, over one and a half, minus 140. Don't mind that. Uh, Pasquale by decision. Currently sitting at plus 360, plus 400 on a couple of spots. I don't mind that, right? Obviously, the win condition you hear from Nunez is KO. She's not a great minute winner. She doesn't really do much else. She doesn't really go for takedowns herself either. Uh, so, Nunez... Like even if you want to take her by 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 a specific round, Nunez by KO round or sorry, Nunez in round two plus four hundred, Nunez in round three plus nine hundred. I think those are live here, especially if Pasquale starts to slow down later in this fight. So uh, I'll go Pasquale, Pasquale by decision around plus four hundred. But other than that, I don't really want much else to do with this fight. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean I'm with you hundred uh, percent. Look, the Pasquale level of competition has been horrible. Uh, the t there's not a ton of tape on her out there or relevant tape, 
What I'll say though is Josiana Nunez level of competition has been absolutely fucking horrible as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, she was fighting lunch ladies regionally in Brazil who were just coming in to get, get 500 bucks and take a dive. We're not make a dive, but get knocked out basically. Um, and not really getting them out of there that easily to be completely honest with you. Uh, and then she fought Bea Malecki, who's one of the worst to ever do it in the UFC and WMMA, <laughs> um, who I bet a lot of money on in that fight, unfortunately. But, you know, that the fact that I bet Bea Malecki at Juice should tell you what my opinion on Josie Ann Nunez is. Yeah. Um, it's not high. Uh, my opinion on Ramona Pascal is also not very high. What I will say is, though, look, I think there's a lot of people who expect uh, Nunez to come out here and just blast her out. And it could happen. Look, she has seven finishes. It's WMMA at the end of the day, though, man. Eventually, the KOs are going to stop coming. This is not the second coming of the, the female coming of Davidson Figueredo, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not uh and it's the like, way i'm hearing some people talk about her that's what it seems like <laughs> it, it's nutty man and, and it, it's like i have this suspicion again i can't say it's confidently and it's why i haven't bet it my suspicion is pasquale is going to be able to clinch her up and just work her until she's tired and just kind of beat her up and beat her fairly easily like that's that's what my gut is um but do I think it's going to happen? Yeah, kind of, but I don't feel passionately about it because of how poor the level of competition is. It's like if she comes out here and just eats a one-two and dies instantly, I won't be shocked. I can't put like any stock in Pasquale's tape. All I know is worse fighters than Ramona Pasquale have controlled Josiane Nunez on the mat and on the fence. And so considering that's kind of Pasquale's game, I think she has a lot of scope for winning this fight. Uh, in terms of props, dude, over one and a half in a WMA fight, unless it's Amanda Nunes fighting. This is I, maybe they got the wrong Nunes, whoever was <laughs> setting that total. But unless it's Amanda Nunes fighting, I don't know how you're setting an over one and a half here. Uh, I like the over. Um, Pasquale by decisions plus five hundred. I like that as well. But again, like you're gambling if you're betting on Ramona Pasquale, right? Like that's what you're doing. You're not like that's why I can't bet her. I have a suspicion she's gonna look. She's gonna win this fight. But I don't feel like very good about it. Like it, I, at the end of the day, it could look Nunez minus four hundred. I'd be like, okay, well that makes sense. There was not a lot of data on Pasquale, so I lean to Pasquale. I'm not looking at better. I do think the decision line is not horrible though. Yeah, I'm right there with you. A couple of things I want to touch on from the chat real quick here. Uh, it does have Ramona listed as 150 pounds on topology, if I'm not mistaken. That was because her last fight was a short notice uh, for that girl. Uh, I believe like either day of weigh-ins or day before weigh-ins is when that girl called in. And obviously it was a catch weight for her. And then lastly, the, that last opponent, uh, very short notice, uh, very low level, how she has two wins. No idea other than the fact that her last two opponents were 39 and 40 years old. So that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, and then in terms of not mentioning Nunes uh, losing to Tyler Santos, that loss has nothing to do with this fight in terms of Tyler Santos would mop the floor with Ramona Pasquale. Yeah. Right? We know that. There's no need to even bring that up. Of course, she lost that fight. And more than likely, she lost that fight with Tyler Santos taking her down and probably just grinding her out in those spots. And if I'm not mistaken, Nunes actually joined forces with Tyler Santos after that at Astro Fight Team. And that's where she's been uh, having most of her career. John, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I just feel like, oh, Pasquale's wrestling is exaggerated. I don't even think Pasquale's wrestling is good. I, I'm, just, I'm not really <laughs> sure where the confidence is that yeah. Joe Santa Nunes has any defensive grappling at yeah. all, you know? Uh, like, Pasquale, like, yeah, someone's saying Bayam Alecki has more striking experience. Okay, but Pasquale's got twice the amount of MMA fights that Bayam Alecki had, you know? Um, look, if you, I, I don't see how you can be confident in a side here, really. Uh, I told you what my gut says. Joe Santa Nunes is not a good grappler, though, whatever you may think. So... 
Yeah. Again, John, we, we know this. The, the, the masses, they, they see the knockouts on this girl's record. They see the knockout from the last fight, and they automatically think that she's untouchable. That's where we have to try to find those inconsistencies and, and try to take advantage of it. Will Ramona Pasquale be the one? Maybe, maybe not. But we both uh, have stated already that we don't feel comfortable putting legitimate money on Ramona Pasquale here. Yeah. If anything, I might just sprinkle her decision prop, as that will likely be the best value that you're going to be able to get in this fight. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Prelim headliner between Ignacio Bahamondes and Zhu Rong. In terms of odds, uh, we are currently getting minus 195, excuse me, on Ignacio and plus 165, the return on Zhu Rong. I'm seeing a lot more love on Zhu Rong than I expected to. Hence why this line is moving the way that it is as well, right? If I'm not mistaken, Ignacio was around minus 230, minus 230 earlier in the week. Uh, as the week has gone on, that Zhu Rong love is coming in. Pink hair Zhu Rong is what, what whatever the fuck they're calling him now. But uh, um, now he's now we have Ignacio down in that minus 195 range, which is making me, you know, getting my eyes wider and wider because I'm looking to eventually get into that spot here. Uh, obviously, there's the big red flag on the Bahamundes side. The guy doesn't show damage well. He is hittable, but I think he makes up for it with his uh, his volume, man. The guy just goes out there and just throws and throws and throws. And even though he lost his UFC debut against John McDessie, a lot of people are going to look at that and be like, look how much success a much shorter fighter had against him. The fact that he, even after getting hurt and rocked in round one, the guy still bit down on his mouthpiece piece and still went out there and threw he still threw another set or landed another 75 significant strikes in rounds two and three and that should kind of go to show that this guy doesn't really get rattled much right no matter if it's not going his way early the guy's still going to go out there and throw volume and that's one thing you like to see from a guy uh especially when you're kind of relying on the volume to win the fight uh, his takedown defense has been looking damn good. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts going into the fight with Ignacio Bahamundes had had a 57% takedown accuracy rate, then proceeded to go 0-12 against Ignacio Bahamundes, and now it's down to 27% uh, takedown accuracy. The fact that he was able to land takedowns against guys like Vince Bichel and not against Ignacio Bahamundes gives me uh, hope that Bahamundes' takedown defense is actually legitimately good. Zhu Rong, on the other hand, has a tremendous performance against Brandon Jenkins, who came in on short notice that a lot of people are overlooking. And Zhu Rong wanted none of that uh, unorthodox striking style of Jenkins and looked to try to drag the fight to the ground. I expect him to try to do that here against Bahumones. I think he wants to use that grappling. I just don't think he's going to be as successful with it as a lot of people are making it seem he will be. I think Bahumones will be able to keep this fight on the feet. And then from there, I think he's going to be able to pitter-patter him in the striking realm en route to a decision victory. So a uh, couple props here for you guys uh bahumundes by decision plus 165 i don't mind that again as long as he doesn't spinning wheel kick him into oblivion in the last five seconds of their fight um zurong uh by ko plus 550 obviously if you do have concerns about ignacio's chin and durability that's a way that you can kind of exploit that especially if you feel you're a little bit too overexposed on the Bahamundes side but I feel quite good about Bahamundes here and I'm liking the line movement as well because I'm just going to wait I'm going to continue to let that Zurong love come in and I think I'll eventually take the shot on Bahamundes uh when I feel the level the line has started to level out still only minus 195 it could get down to the minus 170s depending or based on the amount of love that I'm seeing Zurong get on the timelines Instagram podcasts all that type of stuff seems to be be the dog of the week for a lot of people but i disagree i like uh ignacio pretty well here how about yourself yeah I, you know these are two guys that i've 
both faded in each of their two UFC fights. Uh, so far, I, I'm not a huge fan of either. And it's funny because pre-tape, I also thought wrong was probably the side at the number he was at. Like, I think it was like plus 230 or whatever. But then I taped it. It's like, I think wrong's wrestling is terrible. If I'm being honest, I know he got eight takedowns or whatever against Jenkins, but Jenkins can't defend wrestling at all. Like you're not seeing him, you know, with good entries there. You're not seeing him chain wrestle or anything. He basically just tries to push you to the fence and just rip you down. But to your point, you know, Roosevelt Roberts is a better wrestler than Zurong. I have very little doubt about that. And he was able to keep the fight standing there. You know, Zurong had some issues grappling with Kazula Vargas, who is a horrible grappler. So I, I, I don't really see the wrestling path. And without the wrestling path for Zoo being there, um, it's going to be pretty tough for him to win this fight, uh, at least on a decision anyway. Uh, you know, I think the volume that Bahamundes brings is just too much for Wrong to win minutes. I do think, though, you look, Wrong hits hard, and we did see Bahamundes get hurt by a jab against Roberts. You know, Bahamundes, I appreciate his volume. I love his frame for the division. But the bottom line is he does stop punches with his face. So, you know, the opportunity to hurt him is there. And we've seen he can be hurt. Uh, I I kind of like wrong KO plus 550. And I kind of like Bahamunde's decision plus 165. Honestly, I don't think Bahamunde's hits that hard. I think he's more of a volume striker. You know, you could see he hit McDessie a bunch of times, but he wasn't really affecting McDessie. He was a much smaller man. Uh, same deal with Roberts. You know, he put him out with a spinning wheel kick, but Roberts didn't really get hurt at any point before that. And I don't think Roberts is the most durable guy in the world either. I mean, Kevin Krimmer, for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's – so I, I, I kind of like Bahamunde's decision. I kind of like wrong KO. Um, now that's all dependent on whether or not wrong swings. But, I mean, if wrong doesn't swing, then he's just going to get eaten alive, you know. So I kind of think Bahamunde will drag the volume out of him. Yeah, shout out to Zach Johnson that uh, is clarifying also that Bahamunde has never been knocked out. He's had four losses, two of them by decision, two of them via submission. But it's just weird considering how many punches he's eaten, been rocked a couple times, but still manages to come back and go back to his game, which is volume, volume, volume. I'm hoping that's yeah. exactly what we see this time as well. So, uh, yeah, I'll be on the Bahamunde side, likely taking a shot on his money line as that line starts to come in as well. All right, that is a wrap on the prelims here. Shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have. Appreciate you guys joining us uh, for lunch here on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Show my guy John some love as well uh, at MMA Fox on Twitter, as you can see under his face there. Not to mention his Club and Sub podcast, Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, link to their channels in the description below. Show them some love. All right. Let's get on to the main card here. Gregory Rodriguez going up against Armin Petrosian. In terms of odds, we currently have minus 155 for uh, Gregory Rodriguez, plus 135 the return on Armin Petrosian. Now, uh, I'll say right off the bat, my dog of the night, Armin Petrosian. Uh, that's what I'm going to be going with here. I have been impressed with the regional tape I've been seeing from this guy going up against legitimate competition, right? Like me and you always say on a week-to-week -week basis, some of the toughest regional scenes is over there in Russia. Those guys don't really get fed cupcakes, cupcakes or anything like that. Heck, and I think his second or third fight, he was fighting an 8-0 Russian that was just blasting through his uh, competition. And that was a fight that, you know, seeing what happened there, is giving me the confidence to, to back him here against the guy in Gregory Rodriguez. Every single fight, every opponent wants to take Armin to the ground, and he deals with it, right? He stays calm. He stays patient. He knows those openings are going to come to get back to his feet, and he does a good job in terms of nullifying the amount of success 
his opponents have in those grappling situations. He gives his back up a couple of times, but he does a good job in terms of working on the hands right away to try to uh, break that lock so that he can get back out and get back to work with his striking. Uh, I think that's what he'll be able to do here against Rodriguez. I know a lot of people are touting Rodriguez BJJ credentials and all that, but have we really seen it like fully in play against many other opponents? Like you don't really, with how much it's being touted, you'd expect to see more. But when you're getting little old Al Batavio getting up from under you and when you have his back and all that stuff, it gives me red flags that Rodriguez may be a good pure jiu-jitsu player, but in MMA, there, there are some question marks. I'm trying to remember which fight it was. I think it was the Park fight where he controlled Park on the ground uh, and had his back for the majority of that first round. But you see how much that taxes him. You see it come into play in the second round, which is why you see Park go out there and start to unload those big shots on him. Now, the difference there, Rodriguez, if I'm not mistaken, 6'2", 6'3", big dude. Uh, big dude, and Park is forced to trade in the pocket with him there. That's why he's like throwing shots and he's having to eat shots in return. Whereas Petrosian, much taller guy, much lankier guy as well, will be able to kind of, if he's in that position where Park was, where he was unloading on Rodriguez on the feet um, against the cage, he will be able to go in and out of those striking exchanges, get in and out of the pocket, and really let his uh, hands go and potentially find that knockout of uh, Gregory Rodriguez here, who, again, it's shown. His cardio has looked good against guys like Dusko Todorovic, but that's because that's a 15-minute kickboxing fight where he's not having to exert so much energy. I'd be surprised if he goes out there and has a, a kickboxing fight right off the back, uh, a bat against a guy like Armin Petrosian because I think he would get touched up in that spot. His striking is improving, don't get me wrong. That is obvious. You can see it in the Todorovic fight as well. But when you're fighting in a way that you shouldn't be against a guy who's much better at striking than you, then you're going to start to stress. Then you're going to go back to your habits, which for Rodriguez will be the grappling, will be the clinching and trying to get the fight to the ground. And if he tries to do that, I think he will start to gas out as he tries to employ that heavy grappling uh, top uh, top game or even clinch game especially given how good defensively uh, we've seen Petrosian in the past in those spots. And then from there, I think Petrosian eventually finds that open space again and lets his hands go, eventually finds that knockout. Yes, Rodriguez could potentially find a submission on Petrosian early in this fight. I see that angle, especially if he's able to get dominant position. But based on what I've been seeing on the regional tape from Petrosian, I feel quite confident they'll be comfortable in those positions uh, and should be able to get out of those positions, eventually finding that knockout. Last thing I'll say about this matchup, and I'll swing it on over to you, I see some comparisons between this fight and uh, Derek Brunson against Jared Cannonier, except Derek Brunson, not as bad, or sorry, is uh, uh, with his striking, not that good, right? Way too wild. Uh, Rodriguez is definitely the better striker compared to uh, Derek Brunson. But the the thing that both of those guys share here is they need to get this fight to ground to the ground to truly have success. And if they're not able to, and if they gas out doing so, we get what Jerry Cannonier was able to do and find that knockout in the second round. That's what I think we see here from Petrosian. So in terms of props, Petrosian KO plus 200. Give me some of that. Fight doesn't go to decision. A little bit chalky at minus 450, but I see a finishing opportunity from both guys, whether it's Rodriguez earlier or Petrosian a little bit later. But even Petrosian round two, currently sitting at plus 650, give me some of that. He's going to have to deal with that grappling onslaught early, but in that second round, he's going to start to open up a little bit more. And from there, 
I think he'll find the finish. So give me uh, Petrosian, Petrosian KO, plus 200, Petrosian round two, plus 650. Make your case for Rodriguez because I know that's exactly who you're on here. Yeah, yeah. I, I lean RoboCop. Uh, he's one I'm considering betting the money line on. Uh, to be honest, I, I mean, I faded Petrosian in his contenders fight. I, I'm not a huge fan of his game. Uh, I think his, you know, he obviously is a precise striker who hits very hard. But I don't. I think his defense is fairly suspect, both on the feet and on the mat. Uh, look, my biggest concerns with Gregory Rodriguez are he stands straight up in the air, and I have a sneaking suspicion that he's fragile. You know, Park was pretty close to getting him out of there in his last fight. But in terms of a technical striker, I actually think on a minute-to-minute basis he's the better technical striker than Petrosian is. Uh, you know, Dusko is not an easy guy to outstrike. You know, Park is not an easy guy to beat. Uh, I, I think Rod. You know, he's got a nice jab. He's got a pretty diverse striking arsenal. The big concern is the defense. But I, I don't think Petrosian's got the best defense either. And, like, we've seen Petrosian get flatlined regionally yeah. as well. You know, we actually haven't seen many, you know, many um, fights of Petrosian's take place in the striking, to be honest. You know, it's been a lot of guys trying to grapple him and then him putting them out. Uh, and in terms of the grappling, look, I share your concerns about Rodriguez's gas tank. He has a tendency to look. We saw it in the park fight. He went hard for the grappling early and then gassed the fuck out. Um, and that could happen here. Uh, I do think there's a pretty big difference, though, between Rodriguez grappling and some of the guys who grapple Petrosian regionally. In particular, most of the wrestlers grappling him aren't jiu jitsu guys. And most of them, you know, were getting him down and getting to the back, but none of them are really putting in hooks or a body triangle. And so, you know, he was able to pretty easily tripod forward and just avoid getting stuck in a position to try to work up. Uh, if Rodriguez takes him down, he's going to get his back and he's going to control him there. You know, we saw him do it with Park, who's grappling, I would rate better than Petrosian. And if he ends up with Petrosian in a body triangle, I think there's a fairly high percentage chance he's going to finish him there. I I just haven't really liked what I've seen positionally from Arvin Petrosian. Uh, So, look, I have concerns about the gas tank, which is why I'm probably – I might not lay the money line. But, you know, Rodriguez has 2x the amount of experience. I personally rate his game a bit more. I am worried. <clears throat> Look, the Trojan's dangerous, and him putting Rodriguez out. <coughs> Sorry. Don't die. Him putting Rodriguez out is a very, very live outcome. Uh, I'm going into this eyes wide open about that. But I, it's just a spot. Like, at minus 150 against the debutante with seven fights, like, it's so hard for me to not be at side of, on the side of Rodriguez here. And in terms of props, I like the Rodriguez sub at plus 400 a lot. Uh, I guess my view is. I think Rodriguez, the kind of the threat of submission grappling he's bringing is very different than anything Petrosian's seen in the grappling before. I know he's going to be able to get him down, and I know we'll be able to get the back if he gets him there. Um, with that being the dynamic, you know, I'm happy to take a shot at a 4-1 to on a black belt getting him back here. So I like Rodriguez. I like Rodriguez by submission. Yeah, that, that prop is definitely a very good look, especially if he's able to establish those positions, which I don't think he will, but it's absolutely possible that he can. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Armand Sarukin going up against Joel Alvarez. Excuse me. In terms of odds, uh, we currently have... Uh, oh, yeah, of course, Best Fight Odds has it under Future Fest for some fucking reason. So annoying, um, Minus 220 on Armand Sarukin, plus 180 the return on Joel Alvarez. Um, th- this is one of those spots where I feel like I am kind of overreacting, but I feel like I can't bring myself back from overreacting in this spot. Um, 
Joel Alvarez has cost me money a couple times now. It seems like he is going out there and improving his game. And not only improving his game, but it seems like he's improving his confidence inside the cage to just go out there and fucking throw. And that's exactly what he was able to do against Tiago Moises last time around, where he just almost showed no regard for Moises' striking game and just unloaded elbows, knees, kicks, everything on him, eventually got him out of there. And that was a big eye-opener, right? Because I looked to fade the guy, mainly because I've seen him past fights like the, the Nino Belwardo fight where he gets controlled on the ground. It seems like Alvarez is a little bit too content playing off his back at times. Uh, but I'm curious to know if he's kind of fixed those things, if he's fixed the ability to just give up minutes off of his back. Because it's going to be hard for him to catch Armin, Armin Sarukian off of his back with anything, right? The only way I really see him submitting Sarukian here is either a club and sub situation or a potential desperation takedown from Sarukian after getting touched up a bit from Alvarez. Alvarez is a big motherfucker at 155 pounds. That cannot be overlooked in this situation either. I think we'll see Sarukian have to deal with almost hell and high water trying to close that distance and be able to get that fight to the ground. W once he gets to him, though, and he's able to put his paws on him, yes, I do think he'll be able to drag him to the ground without issue. But what is he going to be eating on the way in? I, I don't mind Sarukian striking. It is coming along as well. Um, it throws in good combinations, good head kicks, all that type of stuff. But I wonder what it's going to be like if Joel doesn't respect that striking game of his and he starts to let go on his own strikes and starts to draw out desperation takedowns or whatever the hell it is from the Sarukian side. I feel this fight is very volatile. I know people that feel that the Sarukian side is uh, a layup in this spot at minus 220. And maybe if the Moises fight didn't happen to me, I'd probably be in that same in that same thread. So maybe I'm dealing with some post-traumatic bet disorder or something like that on the Joel Alvarez side. But I, I do just slightly lean him, man. Uh, sorry, I do think that Sarukian deserves to be the favorite. Don't get me wrong. But I do think at a certain point that Joel will make it difficult for Sarukian to, uh, to, to get that game off. Sarukian, good wrestler. I question his ability to control opponents on the ground. But that's going to come down to Alvarez's acceptance of being on his back, right? Because he looks like he has a crafty enough jiu-jitsu game to create scrambles the way that Matt Frivola was able to and the way some other opponents have been able to against Rukian. And in those spots, if Joel can get back to the feet and start to let go with those strikes once again, things could get a little bit interesting. So the two ways of looking to play this fight, in my opinion. Uh, Alvarez inside the distance, which is plus 300, or Sarukian by decision, uh, which is currently sitting at plus 180. Those are my two favorite props on this. Again, I am picking the Joel Alvarez side, but I just don't have the nuts to bet against a guy like Armand Sarukin, who's just an absolute beast uh, in his own right. So uh, I might be drinking the Kool-Aid, the, the Spanish Kool-Aid here on the Joel Alvarez side, but I'm not going to the extent of actually placing a wager on him in this spot. Alvarez inside the distance, plus 300, like I said, or Sarukin by decision at plus 180. Lay it on me. Why you think that Joel Alvarez take is a mook take? Hawk <laughs> Armin's gonna fucking work this guy. I think this line is bananas. To be completely honest with you, uh, I cannot really re ever recall a grappling disparity. Sorry, sorry, John. I'm not sure what happened to your mic, but it seems to be. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's on your headphones. Like it's working, but it's Do you hear me? Very, that's better. There we go. I cannot ever recall a grappling disparity this wide with a line this short before. Uh, you know me. I am not a juice player at all. Uh, I think minus 220 on Armin where it is right now is stealing, though. This is a bet I will be making. I'm just waiting because I know all the public love or all of the love period that I've seen on Twitter is Alvarez. I'm hoping maybe it comes in. Maybe we beat minus 200 here. But look, let's just look at the facts here. 
Joel Alvarez has not defended a single takedown in the UFC. He has been taken down every time someone has attempted a takedown. When he gets there, he doesn't try to walk up, work up. He goes and looks to play guard. He throws up guard subs. Yeah, he subbed Alexander Yakovlev. You know who else subbed Alexander Yakovlev? Four guys on the regional seat. This is a guy who's been armbarred five times in his career. Okay, super impressive. Danilo Bellowardo, no longer in the UFC, by the way, had a round of control time against him. Somehow got Dagestani handcuffed and swept in that fight. Uh, I really don't think – look, I'm not, can, can Alvarez sweep Armin? Theoretically, sure. Um, if he does get on top of Armin, do you think Armin's just going to let there and sit there and let him put elbows on him and put him out? No. Armin's going to get up. Dude, Makachev couldn't hold Armin down or some opposition. Joel Alvarez is not doing that. Uh, look, Armin's one of the best wrestlers in the division. He's one of the best wrestlers in MMA. He's fighting a guy with no takedown defense who's basically an armbar specialist. He's basically the male version of Jaleesha Soliorenko. Um, that's just you know, the, the reality here. Uh, he's going to get taken down pretty much whenever Armin wants to put him down. Honestly, my big concern with this fight is that someone's going to get in Armin's ear that, oh, you shouldn't go in this guy's guard. You should be careful. And he's going to stand with him. But, you know, even in the striking, look, I get it. He put out Moises quick. Look at Moises' career. Every single time someone has gone forward against Thiago Moises, he has basically wilted. Robert Watley on the regional scene did it to him. Um, Alvarez did it to him. We saw it happen against Benil Dariush. If guys go forward and throw Michael Johnson, when guys go forward on him, he just shells up against the fence and lets them get off volume against him. That's just what he does. You know, it's very easy to look good when the guy you're fighting is refusing to engage or throw back at you. Um, that's not going to be the case here. I actually think Armin striking is pretty good. I think he is the better striker here by a decent margin, to be completely honest. He's certainly a better defensive striker. Uh, my big concern is just the size and the reach. Cause like you're talking about six foot three, Joel Alvarez against five foot seven, Armin Sarukian, eight inch height, different six inch reach advantage. It's a lot to close, but you know, if Armin fights the way he should fight and look so far, he's fought incredibly intelligently. I don't think he has any trouble. I mean, I would literally say, Every single fighter, almost every fighter Armin's fought in the UFC is a better grappler than Joel Alvarez. Like Matt Frivola is a Matt Sarah Brown belt who wrestled in college. I think he's a better grappler than Joel Alvarez is. OAM, I think he's a better grappler than Joel Alvarez is. I get it. The guy's got a bunch of subs from bottom. How many subs do we see from bottom in men's MMA typically? Not much. I'll tell you what. This guy is not – he is not the difference here. This is a guy who's an armbar specialist who I don't think is very likely to get an armbar. And the one time we've seen someone pass over into half guard against him, he had nothing there against Belluardo. He was just stuck. Um, look, I, I, I just don't see it. I don't understand it. Armin Suryukin's being lined closer than Tiago Moises was lined against him. Like, let that sink in. Tiago Moises was minus 270 here, and Armin Sarukin is now minus 220. Um, I think Armin's going to do him however he wants here. I think if he stands, he could get himself into some trouble. But ultimately, I think he should win the fight there. Joel Alvarez doesn't have a knockdown in the UFC. He has almost no KOs on his resume. And so it's like suddenly because he ran through Moises in two and a half minutes, he's this epic, a mega threat on the feet. I, I'm not really seeing it. I think Armin should be like minus four, minus 500 here, to be completely honest with you. I'm going to be betting him on the money line. Uh, I do like him by decision, though, plus 180. He's probably not going to sub Joel, especially if he fights intelligently, as I expect that he will. Um, he'll consolidate half guard and just hold him down. But, yeah, I think this is probably the easiest test that Armin's had in the UFC to date, if I'm being completely honest. It, it could absolutely look that way, and I completely understand your 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 
your site here. And I feel like I'm going to be kicking myself come Saturday night being like, fuck, he, Armin was clearly the lock of the night and I just fucking fumbled the bag there. But again, I, I'm going to stay away from it. I want to see what we get with this. I want to see if this trajectory that Joel Alvarez is on continues, if he does continue to show some improvements. Uh, but uh, yeah, th this is going to be a very tough fight for sure. Go ahead. You're right. I shouldn't have, uh, DJX mentioned this. I shouldn't have said armbar specialist. He's a guard specialist. The guy does every, he is literally does not have a sub from top. Is, and he is one sub from top position in his career. Um, either way, it doesn't change anything. He's not guillotining <laughs> armbar. I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> it changes nothing. So oh bet, bet Joel Alvarez if you want. Um, if you really think that you're, that he's going to outgrapple armbar from bottom, you're wrong. That That's yeah. just what it is. Unless it's a club and sub, like he's not outgrappling armbar from, from bottom position. Yeah, no, that, that's something I absolutely agree with you. I'd be surprised if he catches anything uh, off of his back. For me, it's more so, what can he do in the striking to potentially draw out uh, either a club and sub situation, desperation takedown, whatever the fuck it might be. That's that's my, kind of my concern. And obviously, th those things are a lot more volatile compared to the the sure thing of Armand Surukin securing takedowns and doing his work from on top. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I completely understand both sides for this fight. All right. Let's move on to the next fight because we can spend two hours talking about that fucking fight. It seems to be uh, MMA Twitter's most talked about fight, but we still got a couple more fights to get to. So let's get on to the next fight, which was, again, it makes no sense in terms of this, the situating and the ordering of this belt because we're getting this fucking amazing fight between Sarukian and Joel Alvarez. Now here we come with Priscilla Cachoeira and GU. Fire. <laughs> Absolute fire fight we're about <laughs> to get here. Uh, in terms of odds, we are currently looking at minus 165 for Ji Yoon Kim, plus 145 the return on Priscilla Cashuera. Uh Interesting fight here, right? Um, I'll say this. It, if people are looking at the Molly McCann fight as a reason as to fading Ji Yoon Kim here against Priscilla Cashuera, I think they're going to be mistaken a little bit, right? What it kind of reminds me of is, uh, is this past weekend with Stephanie Yeager. Everybody looking at the Tracy Cortez fight, thinking if Tracy could do it, JRC is going to do it. JRC is not Tracy Cortez. That's something that we learned out. The, the difference here between Molly McCann and Priscilla Cashware is that Molly, I thought going into that fight, for her to win that fight, she needed to get the fight to the ground. But something that she did very well, she moved well, she's pretty fast for that weight class, and she was able to close that distance and land those blitzkrieg shots. And optically speaking, it looked really good because Ji Yoon Kim was on her back foot for the majority of that fight. But Molly McCann was landing some good shots there. The difference is Priscilla Cashuera, way more flat-footed, right? She likes to kind of just trot forward, not really cut off the cage, throw big shots, and then reset, and then just rinse and repeat. Doesn't look for takedowns often. She just wants to go out there and take your head off. I feel like this is a better fight for Ji Yoon Kim to go out there and show off her striking, which is obviously the best part of her game. And that's that stick and move, right? Just land a couple of those crisp shots, straight shots down the middle, one, two, three, whatever it is, a couple combinations, and then get back out. Pivot off. Don't don't stick around too long in there for Priscilla to actually hit you. Because she struggled to do that against Molly, but the difference is that Molly was faster and a little bit more agile on her feet, whereas Cashwara is telegraphing every single fucking strike she's throwing out there. So I'd be surprised if she has success in terms of tracking Kim down more often than not in this fight. But do, do I trust Kim at minus 165 to pivot off every time she throws a fucking strike? Because anytime Cashuera lands, she already has the optics of the judges in terms of moving forward. All she needs to do is land how many? She needs to land 10 to 15 times decently 
in each round to potentially sway the judges in her favor, whereas Kim is just going to be pitter-pattering her from the outside. I would rather trust the Kim via decision because we obviously know that Priscilla Kashwara lives up to her nickname, the zombie girl, because it's very difficult to put her away unless you try to snap her arm. But even in that aspect, she tries to gouge your eyes out. Shout out to Jillian Robertson sticking out to that choke and eventually getting that sub there. But Kim via decision, plus 130, plus 140 on a couple of spots. I feel like that's the play here. I feel like her better striking, better movement, uh, and hopefully pivoting off after accommodations will aid her in winning this fight against Kashmir, who's easy to beat if you have cardio, right? Gina Mazzani was not able to keep up the 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 the, the, the pace, and she ultimately crumbled under Kashmir's power. But I feel like Kim has the cardio to stick and move for 50 minutes if she needs to. She had a competitive striking match with Alexa Grasso, which is you know pretty pretty damn good as well. But this is a different fighter in Kashmir who again, could be easier if you play it safely. And I feel like she will, especially considering this is probably her job on the line, right? If she loses this fight, more than likely she gets cut. Got to go out there, mind your P's and Q's. Don't get too, hit too often by Cashuera. Keep moving, stick and moving, and you win this fight. Plus 140 on the decision prop. I'm actually concerned taking a, a sprinkle on that because I do think it's a damn good spot here. How do you see this one going down? Yeah. Oh, God. I, you know, it's one that I was thinking of playing Cachoeira. And then I was like, well, John, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you've been fading this girl her entire <laughs> UFC run. Like, are you really about, you bet Junior Kim against Alexa Grasso and you're about to bet Priscilla Cachoeira against her? Um, look, the fight's a bit of a mess. Honestly, like, my opinion of Kim went down so far after the last fight. Like, I really thought she should have handled Molly McCann, like, fairly yeah. cleanly. Um, her getting walked down and losing on forward optics in round three of that fight just, is a pretty tough look for me. It makes it very hard for me to get behind him. The thing is, it's like, look, Patch does a lot of things that I want to see in WMA. She's very durable. She goes forward. She throws a lot and she hits hard. The problem is she has no defense whatsoever and she can't cut off the cage at all. So it's like, while I am tempted to, you know, kind of favor or not favor to bet catch because Kim will accept the back foot and catch will go forward. It's just like, all Kim really needs to do here is stick a jab in her face and step off the center line. Like, it's really that simple. Like, I, I hate to say it, but it's like, if you look at the Luana Carolina fight, I don't really think Carolina's distance striking is much better than Jiang Kim's, if at all. And she was basically able to do that for three rounds without too much difficulty. And so with that being the case, I'm like, oh, God, like, like you said, Cachoeira's margins to win this fight are going to be very thin. Like, she basically needs to land a couple big shots around. Um ordinarily this would be the spot that i'm trying to buy the dog you know high output fight um with the one who goes forward and neither likely to finish but I, it's just too easy to beat priscilla cachoeira you know like what if Jinju kim just decides to take her down catch the terrible grappler you know she's legitimately terrible yeah. grappler um so i i ultimately had to pass on it uh what i do think is interesting though and probably my favorite bet of the fight is goes the distance i know it's simple but sometimes you keep it simple here uh kim is super durable she fought Alexa Grasso. She ate all those howitzers from her with no problem at all. Cachoeira, if we know anything, is also super durable. Plus, if Kim fights to her strengths, which I assume she would, she's either going to try to grapple or she's going to try to stick and move. Either way, she's going to be minimizing engagements here. I, I see it goes the distance at minus 165 on DraftKings. I see it up at minus 180 at other spots. But I think that's a great spot here. I think it's probably close to like minus 250. I, I think there's a little too much bias going into – catch getting two finishes against Shayna Dobson and Gina Mazzani here. Uh, I like goes the distance quite a bit. That's how I would play this fight. 
Yeah, I, that that one actually just caught my eye right now. Once you mentioned it, minus one sixty five is a damn good line there, especially considering how Kim fights. She is durable. She will stick and move. She will try to make this a little bit more difficult for Kashura to land that that bomb, which I don't think she will. And even if she does, I, I'm not sure that she'll absolutely put her down. Of course, she's going to be able to finish Gina Mazzini, who's huffing and puffing halfway into round two. Uh, yeah, I like that. That's a that's a damn good spot. I might look to to take advantage of that myself as well. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Co-main event slot between Misha Serkinov coming in at minus 120, Wellington Tournament plus 100. Uh, interesting fight here. Second fight down for Serkinov, down to 185 pounds. I got to say, I, I wasn't completely uh, unimpressed with Serkinov uh, last time around, right? He won a solid 15 minutes against Christoph Jocko. Definitely lost that fight, don't get me wrong. But the fact that he was still having solid gas tank uh, and activity in that third round really opened my eyes, right? I, I thought he, he would tremendously suffer at, at that weight class, especially with the weight cut, right? Even in the cage, he still doesn't look healthy, which is weird, right? Like, especially when he has that line in his stomach, like that just makes you believe like he just cut half of his stomach out to be able to make the weight. But uh, he still showed some good things in there, man. Going for takedowns, striking very much. Um, and I saw somebody put it out on Twitter earlier this week, and I think they nailed it. It's like, do you take the guy with durability issues or do you take the guy with fight IQ issues? And I feel like Sirkunov hit some pretty damn good shots from Jotko last time around. And Wellington Turner, not really known to be a knockout striker by any means. And I do think that Sirkunov will be the stronger of the two. I think we see Sirkunov actually get this into his, his realm on the ground, be able to get on top of Wellington Turner and do some decent work from there. I believe before the Christoph Jocko fight, it had been nearly five or six years since Misha Serkinov had seen a second round in his uh, professional MMA career, which is crazy. He's either getting finished or finishing these guys in the first round. So to see him go the full 15 minutes against Jocko, that was a little bit eye-opening. I do think, though, that one of these guys is going to find an opening at a certain point in this fight. I do see it mainly being a grapple-heavy fight. Both guys like to drag the fight to the ground and try to find some success there. But I do think that we'll see Serkinov be a little bit more crafty from on top and eventually either catch Wellington in something or get into a dominant position and start to rain down big blows. I don't want to write off Wellington too much, right? Because I was looking to back him as a slight under or as a massive underdog against Rodolfo Vieira last time around. But a lot of that was predicated on his ability to stay safe as a BJJ black belt and then eventually take over as Vieira starts to slow down. So uh, uh, earlier in the week, I said Serkinov first round uh, TKO from on top. I still think that's live here. He's very crafting from on top. And I think he could potentially find uh, a finish there. I was also thinking fight doesn't go to decision. But again, I don't want to be uh, uh, left out to dry here at minus 200 if these guys kind of nullify each other on the ground and we just get a back-and-forth grappling match for 15 minutes. I still do lean Serkinov. I think he'll find himself on top for the majority of this fight. I trust his cardio at 185 pounds. Gotta believe he feels more comfortable now with this being his second fight there as well. I'll go Serkinov. I'll go Serkinov uh, inside the distance as my favorite bet. But uh, yeah, I just want to see how this one plays out. Serkinov inside the distance currently at plus 150. Fight to not start round three. Uh, minus 125. I don't know. I don't know. This is such a weird fight, man. It, it is a very weird fight. I'm interested to see how you break it down, though. I do not have a passionate take on this fight at all. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought I was... <clears throat> Pre-tape, I thought I was going to love Serkinov, to be honest, because, you know, he checks a lot of boxes. He's obviously more experienced. He's fought better guys. You look at the guys that have finished Serkinov, they're all superior. All the guys that beat Serkinov, to be honest, are all superior fighters to Wellington Terman. Um, but Serkinov, you know, first of all, we know he's very fragile. Um, you know, he looked okay against Jocko. I, I don't know. I, I just, 
I get this feeling watching him fight that he's just kind of checked out, to be honest. Like, he doesn't seem he, – he seems a lot more wooden than he used to look, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, he used to be – not that he's not a good athlete still, but he used to be like an elite athlete. Now we see him – he seems a lot slower at, at a middleweight. Uh, and he's fighting Terman, who in theory, I think Serkinov should have every edge here. I think he should be the better striker. I think he should be the better grappler. I think he should be the better wrestler. The problem is – like I said, you know, we have all the chin concerns with Serkinov. We have, you know, the weight cut concern. Like you mentioned, he doesn't look very good fighting at 185. Um, and he's fighting, you know, a young kid in Wellington Termina who is not very good, but who's actually, you know, he's only 25 years old. He just moved to Glover's gym. I heard from somebody who knows somebody there that he's apparently made some pretty big improvements. And that's the kind of thing that, like, I don't put that much stock in it normally, but at, like, 25 years old, um, going to a good gym, getting to train with guys like Alex Pereira and whatnot, and now, you know, he's going to fight a clearly declining fighter with questionable durability. It kind of scares me, to be honest. And so it's like, look, I do ultimately think the line is lined correctly here, and I suspect that Zirkunov can probably get him down, but we really haven't seen Terman's takedown detested that much in the UFC. So maybe he can't. And if he can't, look, do we really want to trust these two guys swinging? Like, do we trust either of their chins swinging, really? <laughs> uh, so, you know, so it, 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 it's ultimately just – it's a fight I struggle to get a good read on. Honestly, I don't even love any of the props. What I will say, I do kind of think – look, Herman's a black belt. While I think Kirkenov's a better grappler, I don't know how likely it is that he subs him. I actually think, depending on who you favor here – I think the KO line on each guy being over plus 500 is kind of nice. You know, both guys have shown some fragility on the feet in the past and fairly recently. And if the grappling does cancel each other out, we may see them strike. Um, and it might only take one shot from each. Plus, on the Serkinov side, if he does get on top of him, you know, you may – Terman may have good enough submission defense that he just positionally KOs him the way, you know, like a Bruno Silva did. Uh, so I like the KO on each side. I don't feel – I would just pass, though. I think this is a pass fight. I think it's a mess. Um, I don't really want to play against the tournament at a new gym angle at 25 and put my money on Serkinov. I can't blame you for taking Serkinov, but I, I don't, just don't have a strong feeling about it. Yeah, uh, you said this uh, on one of the episodes we did in the past. Uh, this is a sit-back-and-watch fight. Yeah. This is a watch-and-learn fight. I forgot which fight it was that we, that we had said that for, but uh, I feel like I had to do with William Knight, but I could be off on that. Either way. <laughs> Either way, uh, yeah, I, I don't want my money anywhere near this fight, and I'm glad that you kind of agree with that as well. All right, uh, main event time. Shout out to the 130 live viewers that are in here. Make sure you guys hit that subscribe and like as well to show your boys some support. And obviously, uh, give my guy John some love as well. Follow him at MMA Fox on Twitter, as you can see on the screen there. And then make sure you guys check out his Club and Sub podcast with him, Luke legs and sometimes see uh those guys go live every wednesday night and 10 p.m eastern and they got some hot takes that i'm sure you guys want to listen to before making your bets all right main event time here john we got the king bobby green taking this fight on short notice he's coming in at plus uh plus 600 now minus 900 the return on islam mahachev i think that the main debate in this fight that needs to be had is the duration of this fight how long do people see this fight going as that's more than likely we're going to be able to make money. Sure. People can take their shots on Bobby green, whatever. I get it. The line's crazy. He's a legitimate fighter. Uh, I get it. Plus 600 
go a while. Do whatever the fuck you guys want. But for me, it's more so the focus on, does this go over one and a half? Does it go over two and a half? Does it go the full 25 minutes? And I think it does. I think the, the last fight against Dan Hooker for Islam Mahachev has given this false sense of security for people to think that Islam Mahachev is all of a sudden this crazy finisher. Bobby Green is durable, man. Uh, I think the last finish that he has on his record or last loss via finish was Dustin Poirier back in the day. But do we really think that Islam Mahachev is this crazy knockout striker? No. The guy likes to take the fight to the ground and really try to grind his opponents out. But I just don't know if we have enough viable tape out there to assume that uh, Bobby Green won't get choked out or that he will be able to survive the ground, right? There's just not enough out there. We saw Clay Guida get him down a couple of times. So yeah, without a matter of a doubt, Islam Makachev is going to be able to land takedowns here. It's just, is he going to be able to control him on the ground? I believe we saw a little bit in the Tiago Moises fight where he's able to work back to his feet. Um, but Makachev is just another level in terms of ground domination and be able to keep guys on the ground. He will be able to do that here up against Bobby Green. But how many finishing opportunities will actually open up for him? Right. I know Bobby's taken this fight on short notice, but his last training camp was against a striker. Like, how much has he really been drilling ground techniques or submission defense? And we can say the fact that he's a veteran, he's been around the game forever. Those type of skills are already ingrained in his system, no matter if he's been training it or not. But dealing with a guy like Makachev is just a completely different animal. So I'm interested to see if he'll actually be able to survive that. I'm going to go with that he does survive that. I'm going to go with this fight does start to hit the overs. I'm going to go with, you know, over one and a half rounds, minus 165. Don't mind that. Over two and a half rounds, even money. Give me some of that. Over four and a half rounds, plus 240. Fight goes to decision, plus 250. It's possible. Like, it wasn't that long ago that Islam Makachev was the decision guy, Right. He finishes Drew Dober, takes him to round three to finish Drew Dober. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel like Bobby Green has a lot more to offer than uh, than Drew yeah. Dober. Yeah. Uh, Tiago Moises, <laughs> black belt to jiu-jitsu. I was surprised that he finished them, uh, but that went all the way into round four. Uh, Dan Hooker, that was an easy Kamara win for him. Again, short notice spot for Dan Hooker as well, trying to cash in on a quick paycheck there. Um but before that, Davi Hamosh, obviously we understand that. Hamosh, high-level black belt, so I'm sure we understand why he was able to stay out of submissions. Sarukian, understand that as well, right? Very high-level guy in his own right. Cajun Johnson, not a great fighter. Obviously, he's going to get armbarred in round one. Glayson Tebow, that was uh, very surprising for a lot of people that uh, Makachev was able to knock him out in a minute in that fight. I don't think anybody called that that night. But before that, Nick Lentz, 15 minutes. Before that, Chris Wade, 15 minutes. So it's not like he was this perennial finisher. And Bobby Green has historically been quite durable. So I do see this fight, you know, hitting the overs. It does get shaky the later that this fight goes as well because he could potentially find a finish later himself. And I'm, I don't want to completely write off Bobby Green either, right? The guy has some chances on the feet, good boxing, trades in the pocket very well. And it's insane based on how many times he trades in the pocket and how his fights go that it always goes 15 minutes because there's all usually always a finishing opportunity, especially with how much he trades in the pocket, but he does so good defensively in terms of, you know, using the shoulder roll, using his head moving, all that stuff to get out of the way of his opponent's strikes. But shoulder roll, all that stuff is not going to matter here. It's the uh, digging underhooks, pushing the head down. That's what he's going to be having to focus on here against Makachev. And then once on the ground, how he's going to nullify this success from Makachev from on top. So uh, money line, obviously I'm not touching anything there. Uh, but in terms of the totals, I might ladder the over one and a half, two and a half, and three and a half and call it a day. That's minus 165, minus 110, and then plus 175. 
for me, things get shaky in rounds four and five, and that's where we could see Green probably start to falter under that pressure and eventually give up a finish. Um, yeah, I like Makachev either by decision uh, or late. How do you feel about this one? Ah, it's a tough time in the world. Russia's invading the Ukraine. Things are dicey. And we're sending in Bobby Green to send a message here. Guys, if you bet one house on Bobby Green on Saturday night, you will win six houses on Saturday night. Um, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, look, I am going to have probably a small play on Bobby at the plus 600. Uh, I, I, like you touched on a lot of like important things that I was going to mention, Locke. But like, you know, you go back and actually kind of watch his fights at the grapplers. You know, he couldn't get Lentz out of there. He couldn't get Wade out of there. And to be honest, go watch that Chris Wade fight. Chris Wade took a round off Islam Grappler. You know, he reversed him four times in that fight. I actually rate Bobby's uh, scrambling ability significantly better than Wade's. And obviously, you know, Bobby is a much more coherent striker than Chris Wade is. He's also a bit bigger than Chris Wade is. Um, you know, look, Islam's a rightful favorite. No question about it. Uh, you know, the guy's got to get takedowns here. As you mentioned, Gita took green down. A lot of guys have taken him down. Almost no one's really been able to control him on the mat since he was like 23 years old, though. You know, uh, the guy does an excellent job getting to his stomach and then, you know, denying hooks and using that to work up. You know, he gets a lot of those positions that Islam was able to get on Moises' back. Green gets to fairly easily. The big difference is Green is very good at the next move, getting to the next spot from there, whereas Moises would like kind of get to his knees and just didn't really know what to do. And as I touched on earlier, Tiago Moises, not a very good nail. When things go wrong for him, he tends to wilt. Um, that's not Bobby Green. And look, in the stand-up, Bobby Green's got, you know, kind of some scope for success, right? You look at guys like Hooker and Dover, yeah, they're better strikers than Bobby, probably. But neither of those guys has the capability to kind of jab, step off the line, and fight bone backwards. Bobby does. Um, so, like, I look at the fight, and I'm like, yeah, you have to favor Islam. I even think you have to make Islam a pretty big favorite. You know, the guy's going to get takedowns. He's going to get a lot of control here. But, you know, you look at the, you know, he, it's not like he's wiped out every guy he's fought on the mat. Armin took a round off him. Wade took a round off him. Bobby's on that level as a scrambler, and he's probably a better striker than either. Uh, it's five rounds, which maybe it favors Islam, but also we've never really seen Islam in a position where he's had to attempt 15, 20 takedowns. You know, it's much more taxing than floating on top of somebody or holding them in the clinch to have to continue to re-enter here. Um, <clears throat> and so we don't really know what's going to happen if that happens. You know, he could slow down. We don't know. And so... You know, with that dynamic in play, it's just, look, Bobby Green is a very skilled fighter. I don't think there's anybody in the UFC currently who should be minus, you know, 600 against Bobby Green, much less minus 1,000. I kind of think Islam 75% is about right here, minus 300. If you want to make it minus 400, fine. You know what? Go for it. But I think there's a lot of places Bobby can win this fight. And so I like plus 600. You know, I think it's worth a poke. Small poke, nothing serious. Uh, but I think, you know, that the best bet of this fight, and maybe on the card, is I think the over here, and I think it goes the distance here. Uh, you know, I think the over more than it goes the distance, because to your point, it is possible Bobby slows down, gets finished late, that's in play. Um, but Bobby Green's an excellent scrambler. He's fought very high-level submission grapplers before. You know, Moises, believe it or not, is a very high-level submission guy. He got Bobby down twice and didn't even get near to locking down a position there. Uh, I don't think – I shouldn't say there's no way – but I'd be very, very, very surprised if Islam is able to submit Bobby in the early portion of this fight when they're both fresh. And so you're getting like almost even money on the over two and a half, which to me seems crazy. Uh, so I love the over two and a half here. It goes the distance is plus 250. It's like this is – if Islam has the fight his way, it's going to be a pretty grindy clinch fight with an elite grappler against an elite defensive grappler. 
that's not usually the recipe for a fight that ends inside the distance minus 350, you know? Uh, and so I, I like that a lot. It's one of my favorite props on the card, if I'm being honest. But yeah, you know, I favor Islam. But look, bottom line, I said it on my podcast last night, guys, do you want to live in a world where a fighter is boring as Islam Makhachev's champion? <laughs> like, seriously, is that what you want? Because if Bobby loses, the only guy in his way is Charlie Owens. And then we're looking at an Islam title run, okay? Let's cut Islam a little bit of slack. The guy's been getting a couple finishes in his last couple fights. It's not yeah. that boring anymore. Like, he's really stepping it up. <laughs> let, let's just put it this way. We're rooting against Russia. We're rooting for Bobby there Green. Go. go, Bobby, and go over. Let's go there for go. Let's get a boring, grindy fight here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, let's get into the three best prop bets. Uh, actually, the, the, the Ultimate Wayne Show. Let's uh, quickly announce who the guest is going to be for there. I'm very excited for this one. We got my guy, Dan Stop coming in, co-founder of MMA Junkie. Um, he's been around the game for years and years and years. Uh, right now, he's working nice. for a Katina Media. Uh, he's a gambling editor over there. Uh, but he used to work, or sorry, he used to run The Athletic. Uh, he was a part of USA Today Sports. Um, I believe he was a part of the Cincinnati Reds for a little bit, helping them out as well, if I'm not mistaken. And then, uh, obviously, like I said at the top, co-founded MMA Junking. Big, big dude in the industry. Very happy to lock him down here. And he seemed a lot more excited than I thought he'd be to ex uh, actually accept the role and come on and break down these fights for us this weekend. So make sure you guys check that out. That's going to be going down 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow for the Ultimate Wayne Show, an hour after the Wayans wrap up, me and Dan will break down the fights for you guys one last time. All right, let's get into the three best prop bets. Unfortunately, we were not able to get any from Cody today, so it's just me and John that you guys will be hearing from. So first and foremost, I'll go with Makachev decision, plus 330. I think it's absolutely in play here. If I could, I'd probably replace that with the over two and a half. Uh, even money, I think that's a damn good spot as well. And more than likely, I'll be taking a shot on that. I am not in overs guy at all i hate betting overs i hate betting decision props but i do feel like this fight will more than likely go over that two and a half round mark but after that i think it's going to start to get easier and easier for makachev to assert that position and eventually find a finish but i still don't mind that plus 330 on a decision line as well all right next up I'm going with petros and vko at plus 200 uh broke it down pretty pretty well i thought uh when we were on that fight uh, i think he stuffs most takedowns uh, or gets back to his feet uh, works well in terms of uh, um, uh, fighting the hands, uh, getting back into open space, and then eventually finding that knockout. Even Petrosi in round two, I think that was sitting around plus 600. Uh, I think that's a damn good spot, similar to the Jared Cannonier, Derek Brunson fight. It will take a round or so for him to eventually get his opponent off of him. And then from there, he should be able to let go with the strikes. And we've seen Gregory Rodriguez close to death gas in numerous fights in that round too. Uh, if he finds himself in a similar position as Jun Jun Park did, I think Petrosian knocks this guy out. And lastly, I'm going to go with Bahamundas via decision plus 165. Uh, waiting for that money line to come down because I'll more than likely be taking some Bahamundas here. But I do like Bahamundas, and I think he goes out there, touches up Zurong for uh, 15 minutes, stuffs a couple of takedowns because those are inevitable in this fight. But I think after that, he should be able to cruise based on volume and output. So give me Bahamundas' decision. John, what do you got, man? Yeah, so first off, we got Makachev Green goes the distance plus 250. Look, I ultimately think Islam's going to win this fight, but he's never fought somebody. Well, he has, but he's gone to most of the guys he's fought on Green's level as defensive grapplers, he's gone the distance with. I think the over, kind of to your point, is probably the best play here, but plus 250 for goes the distance just doesn't make sense when he's fighting a guy who's not going to find himself most likely in very many super compromising positions. 
Next up, we got Gregory Rodriguez via sub. Look, bottom line is if he gets nuked by Petrosian, I won't really be shocked, but Petrosian gives his backup whenever he gets taken down. He's fighting a high-level submission grappler here. You know, if you're telling me you're giving me a guy who's going to be able to get his back and lock in a body triangle off one takedown, and he's also got a black belt, and his sub is plus 450, I have to take a stab on it. I just think there's too much value there. And last up, I got Sarukian V decision plus 185. Look, I like the money line here, but this might even be better. The bottom line is Sarukian's one of the best MMA grapplers we've seen in the UFC. This is a guy who took down Islam Makachev and scrambled aggressively with him for, with him for 15 minutes. He's fighting a guy who hasn't defended a single takedown in the UFC, and whose option off his back is to immediately throw up subs from guard. Uh, look, Armin Sarukian was able to play in Davi Hamas's guard without any issues. I don't think he's going to have issues here. I think he's most likely to consolidate position on the ground, and he's probably going to win this 30-27. to 27. I like it. I like it. All right. Again, I, I see somebody in there saying in the chat saying that we chose the same fights. That's how bare bones this card is. There's not many spots that mean John either. Like again, I only have a dog of the night play so far on I have no bets so far. and John has no bets at all. So uh very sketchy card overall, especially with picking some sort of props. Uh other ones that I'd I'd, I'd kind of give an honorable mention to is uh Martinez by decision, which I think is pretty good as well against Alejandro Perez. And then obviously the um uh, the, the decision prop, sorry, on Ignacio Bahamunde, I, I very much like that as well. Over two and a half in Bobby Green and Islam Mahachev. All right, John, uh, anything you want to say on the back end here? And then I'll wrap this thing up. Yeah, guys, check out my show Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, Club and Sub Podcast. It's in the description below. You can follow me on Twitter at MMA Fox. I'm always down to chat with people. If you want to hit me up, have any questions, let me know. Also, Bellator, Danny McCormick. And Brian Moore, taking shots on both of them. I'm playing McCormick for a decent amount. Brian Moore is probably going to close about plus 400 against Dornell Lugo. I like that spot a lot. There you go. Some uh, Bellator plays for you guys. Uh, I did not expect that, but I'm glad that my guy, John, is trying to throw it in for you guys. All right. Appreciate everybody checking out the show. Hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Make sure you guys go follow Club and Sub Podcast as well. Link is in the description below. Tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern, Ultimate Wayne Show with my guy, Dan Stupp. Uh, and then I'm also going to be going on the Labo part podcast uh, as well with nice. the guys, uh, Narco Cop. I think Tajik's on that as well. Very much looking forward to uh, chopping it up with those guys. Love the concept they have there as well with the Lambo Plays uh, podcast. So I'm very much excited for that. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, IG Live. Uh, that's where I normally drop and talk to you guys for as much for at least an hour. Talk to as many of you guys as possible. So make sure you guys check that out at MMA LOTN on IG. And then lastly, Fight Day Live Chat, 1 p.m. Eastern, talking to you guys in the chat here for an hour, uh, talking about any last-minute bets or stuff that you guys want to talk about before the fights kick off. All right, that is a wrap. Appreciate you doing the show again, John. Uh, appreciate everybody checking it out. Good luck on your bets, and I'll see you guys tomorrow for the Ultimate Wayne Show, 3 p.m. Eastern. Peace out. War, Peace. Armin Petrosian. War, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs>